Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Um, let me jump into our message for the weekend. It's Matthew 26, 26 is our key verse for this series. And it says, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces, gave it to the disciples saying, take this and eat it for this is my body. And the word used for broke here is klao. It's used 15 times in the New Testament. And every time klao is used, it's always used in the context of breaking bread. It's always, it's always in reference to that. And so there are other words that could have been used to describe this, but I think this is intentional. I think Jesus understood what he was doing. He understood what he was saying. And he was saying, guys, in the same way that this bread is broken, this is symbolizing what's going to happen to my body. My body will be broken for you, for your benefit. And so in the same way that this bread is broken, I am going to be broken as well. So this represents me. And it's weird because in our world, Broken things are bad things, aren't they? Like if you say something is broken, typically it's not a good thing. There's a, there are a few rare exceptions. If you broke a record, that could be a good thing. Um, but typically if something's broken, it's bad. Have you ever broken a bone? Has anybody broken a bone before? A few of you lived as children. The rest of you wore helmets all the time, apparently. I broke bones growing up. Um, I, I recently found out, I guess there was some sort of filter on one of the social media apps that shows you how symmetrical your face is. And I realized that symmetry is like the key to beauty. And my face is not symmetrical. I've broken my nose so many times playing sports growing up that uh, my nose is akin to like a Pablo Picasso painting. Um, and so... So I realized that my, my limitation in life has been my nose. If I didn't have, if I had a symmetric nose, I could have been a supermodel. I could have been in Milan. I could have been walking the runways, gracing magazine covers if it wasn't for my crooked nose, right? That's all that held me back from that. I broke my nose. It was never set correctly. And so it's crooked. I've broken my arm. When you break a bone though, here's the thing. Nobody has ever broken a bone and they're like, yes, what a great day this is. Right? When there are people in the room and you've got kids and I've seen your posts when you, your kids break a bone and the feeling you have when your kids break a bone and there's no celebration, right? Broken things are bad things. Um, what about your car? Has anybody ever walked out to go to work and you try to start your car and it won't start and you're like, great day, right? No, your car is broken down. It needs work. It's incomplete. It's not functioning the way it's supposed to function. And, and that's a problem. It's also a problem when your neighbor's car won't function because it ends up on blocks up in their front yard and then you got Sanford and Son living next to you, right? That's a problem. Why? Because their car is broken down. That's one of the reasons I like Apple products because they just work. Like you don't have to think about it. You don't have to worry about it. They just work. They work like they're supposed to work, it feels like, right? Because we want things that function correctly, that work correctly. If they're broken, they're bad. And in our world, it's the same way. Think about some of the things that are broken. We think about broken promises. We think about broken marriages. We think about um, broken dreams. 
broken hearts. All these are bad things. They're they're things that we try to avoid. They're things that, that we don't want. But what we see is in the economy of heaven, broken is good. See, in our world, in our culture, broken is bad. If something is broken, it is marginalized. It is useless. You set it aside. In fact, David said this in one of the Psalms. Uh, He said that he was ignored like a broken pot. What he said is, my enemies are out to get me, basically. My friends have ignored me. And he said he feels as ignored as a broken pot. And what he's saying is a broken pot is useless. It's set aside. It has no value. And he said, that's how I feel right now. And this is what happens when we're broken many times. We feel useless. We feel valueless. We feel like we've been marginalized, set aside, because now we're not everything we could be. But that is the world standard and not God's standard. Because in God's economy, Jesus only uses broken things. If it's not broken, he will not use it. Last Supper, what did he do? He took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and then he gave it away. The the feeding of the 5,000, what did he do? He took the loaves and fishes, same pattern. He took it, blessed it, broke it, and then it was multiplied. Jesus only uses what is broken. See, in the economy of heaven, broken things are advantageous. And we have to be broken in order to be used by God. So there's a couple things, a couple things I wanna encourage you with, um, reasons why we must be broken. And the first thing is this. Broken people recognize that they need God. When we're broken, we recognize our need for God. Otherwise, we're good. You know people that they need God, they need Jesus, but the truth, they, they don't think it though, right? Because their finances are good, their health is good, their family's okay. So they go, I don't have any needs, I must be fine. I don't need a savior. I don't, I don't need a rescuer, I don't need God. But broken people, people who have shortfalls in their finances, in their relationships, they recognize I need somebody, I need some help. I can't do this on my own. We're gonna spend some time, does anybody remember real paper Bibles with like covers and binding and all that? A couple of you have those antiques with you today, that's good. If you have a paper Bible, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter one and you can leave your finger, hold the place there because we're gonna keep coming back to 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians one. So we're gonna start in verse eight today though. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church Uh, This is a group of people he knew well. He had started the church there and he kept in close contact with them. And so he he writes in his introduction, this is in 2 Corinthians chapter one, he's he's catching up with them. And this is what he says in verse eight. He says, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. Now let me stop right there for a second. This is a whole nother sermon for a whole nother day. He says, we were crushed beyond our ability to endure. Have anybody, have you ever heard the the verse that God will not give us more than we can handle? And maybe you've even quoted it. I wanna help you. That is in the Bible, but it is not talking about external circumstances. It's talking about temptation. So God will never give you more temptation than you can handle. So that's what it's talking about. It's not talking about hard days. 
It's not talking about difficulty. It's not talking about heartache and sorrow. That's not what it's talking about. And if Paul says we got more than what we could endure, then we have to understand that's gonna be part of our lives. There are gonna be days that are harder than what we think we can endure, that feel like it's going to kill us. And this is exactly where Paul and his compatriots were. So let me start again. He says, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him and he will continue to rescue us. This is huge, there's a lot to unpack here. He said, we didn't think we were gonna live. We expected to die. We expected to lose our lives. He says, we were, we were bottomed out. But because of that, we learned that we can't rely on ourselves. We can only rely on God. And I love how he says it. He says, who raises the dead? Basically, the implication for the readers is, he's saying, even if we die, God can raise us from the dead. That's the hope we have in God. That is the confidence we have in God. That, that we say, God, we can't do this on our own. We are powerless to do it on our own. We need you. And in fact, we need you in such a way that we know that even if we die, you can raise us if you wanted to. See, Paul is saying, we needed God to show up. We needed God because we couldn't do it on our own. Um, one of my favorite characters in scripture is David. And if you're new to church, you might know the story of David and Goliath. And this is the same David. He went on to become king of Israel. And after he'd become king, um, he had sent his army off to fight. And he observed a woman from his balcony on her roof bathing. And he, um, he summonsed her, he slept with her, and she conceived a child. When he found out she was pregnant, he had her husband killed because he wanted to cover up what, had done, what he had done. And after he had been killed, uh, he married her so that he could look like the hero. He could look like he was rescuing this poor woman whose husband had died. And one day, Nathan the prophet comes to David and he just calls him out. I mean, he just reads his mail. And he just says, I know what you've done. Aren't you glad God doesn't do that for you through me? <laughs> I just show up at your house one day. I'm like, bing bong. You're like, what's Mel doing here? And I was like, hey, God told me to tell you. I saw this and this and this and this and this. You may stop coming to this church, right? That would be a little uncomfortable. Nathan shows up and he just reads his mail. And he says, I know exactly what you've done. God told me. And David, he responds the right way. He, he, he's repentant and... Um, he is, there is, there's punishment, there's correction for him from God because there's always consequences to sin. And so there's consequences for his actions. And in his, as a response, he writes Psalm 51. And we're not gonna read all of Psalm 51, but I would encourage you to do that when you have some time. Um, but read it in that context of what David had gone through and what David had done. And listen to what it says in verse 16 and 17. This is David praying to God, this Psalm. He says, you do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, 
O God. And this is what David's talking about. I want you to understand this because uh, in that context, there was a sacrifice required by law. There was a sacrifice. So why would David say, you don't require sacrifice? Well, it's because law required a sacrifice, but law can't change our hearts. So what he said, was saying is, I could bring a sacrifice and still have an unrepentant heart and spirit. I could still have a heart that's not broken. And if God could either have a sacrifice or a broken spirit, he'll take the broken spirit. He'll take a contrite heart, a repentant spirit that says, God, I need you. And David said, I know what you really want. You want, it's not that you don't want the sacrifice, but what you really want is the sacrifice of my heart saying, God, I need you. God, I'm a sinner. God, I'm a failure without you. God, I need you. And that positions us differently with God than if we act like we're great and strong and bold and things are good. Because when we understand that we are broken, it positions us in a good place with God. And Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he rescues those that are crushed in spirit. I love this. He draws near to the brokenhearted. And, and in a very real way, what it's saying is God is attracted to brokenness. God is attracted to brokenness. When we are broken, God draws near to us. He, he wants to be close to us when we are broken. Um, James, in the book of James, it's one of my favorite books of the Bible. In the book of James, he, he quotes another passage where he says, uh, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Um, some of you, next week, you might have some Easter meals, right? You might be doing Easter lunch with some family and friends and those kind of things. You gather people together, which is it's good. Um, but if your family is like my family, whenever I gather, whenever we gather together as a big family, there are people I love, but I really don't want to spend that much time with, right? Let's be honest. Is that just my family? You love your family perfectly? Please. <laughs> Liars, right? Come on. So you gather together and there's people that you're drawn to that you're like, oh my gosh, I want to sit with you. I want to talk to you. I want to catch up, right? And then there's some people you're like, whoo, okay. Oh, hey, I didn't see you over there. Yeah, things are great. Let's catch up soon. And you're like, please get me away, right? You're trying to avoid them through the whole meal because you're like, I don't want to get sucked in. I don't want to have this conversation. There's only so many times I can tell them why we don't have more kids or why I'm still single or whatever it is. You're like, I just don't want to talk about it. You're trying to avoid them. And this is what happens. God resists the proud. So when we come before the Lord and we have the attitude that, man, God's so lucky to have me on his team. Man, I, I mean, yes, I need to go to church, but I mean, morally, I'm so much better than some of these people around me at work. And, and man, my wife is blessed to have me as a husband. Can you believe my kids get to have me as a dad? Now, we might not say that stuff exactly, but we feel this stuff sometimes. And when we bring God that spirit, God's going, oh, oh, hey, let's catch up sometime. He avoids us. He, he resists us. He pushes away from us. But when we come to him with a broken spirit, when we come to him in our brokenness, in our need, and we recognize that we need God, he's drawn to us. He draws near to us. 
He brings us in close. That's what our God does. It just positions us differently when we recognize that we are broken and we need God because in God's kingdom, brokenness is actually a strategic advantage because it draws God to us. It draws us to God. Brokenness will humble us. And this is a good thing because Jesus said in Matthew 11, I am gentle and humble, which feels ironic that Jesus would tell people he's humble, but he can get away with it because he's Jesus, right? I don't know if I could get away with telling people how humble I am. I'm very humble. In fact, I wrote a book about my humility. You should all buy my book on how to be humble like me. But Jesus can get away with saying he's humble. So Jesus says, I'm humble. And what I've realized is when we resist, when we resist brokenness, we're actually resisting taking on the likeness of Jesus. Because humbleness is birthed in brokenness. So, so when I embrace my brokenness and I embrace my failure and I embrace my shortcomings and I embrace my need for a savior, my need for God, it is actually shaping me more into the image of Jesus. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a story about these two men who go to the temple to worship. And one was a Pharisee and one was a tax collector. So they were at opposite ends of the spiritual spectrum. And he said, the Pharisee goes and he prays a prayer and he says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like one of these sinners and tax collectors. I thank you that I fast twice a week and then I tithe 10% of everything I have. He says it boldly and loudly in front of people. He's praying this prayer. And then he describes the tax collector and he says this tax collector, this lowest of the low, he's off by himself, almost hidden, and he won't even raise his face to heaven because of how he feels. So he keeps his head down and it says he beats his chest and he says, I am a sinner, O Lord. I am a sinner, O Lord. And he's grieved in his heart because of his condition. And Jesus asked the question, he says, which of these two went home justified? And the answer is the tax collector. It wasn't the person who thought they had it all together. They, I looked the part and I'm very holy. I'm very spiritual. It was the person who recognized, I need a savior. I need help. I'm in the middle of my brokenness. I'm in the middle of my mess and I can't do this on my own. See, broken people recognize that they need God. Second thing is this. Broken people help other broken people. I don't know if you know this. There's a few broken people around. Have you ever noticed that before? If not, you haven't been to Walmart lately. People are kind of a mess. We like to act like we're not a mess, but we are. And there's more of us around than what you realize. Some people are just better at faking it than others. Now there's a problem when we fail to recognize that we should be helping the broken people around us. There's an issue with that. Let me go back to 2 Corinthians again, 2 Corinthians chapter one. Now we're gonna read verses three through seven. This precedes what we just read a moment ago. So again, this is the introductory part of this letter to the Corinthians. Paul says this, all praise to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. 
For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. I want to point out a couple things from this passage. He says, first of all, that God is the source of all comfort. In verse three, in verse four, he says, he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. It does not say God comforts us in all of our troubles so that you can be more comfortable. God just wants you to be happy. So he's just gonna comfort you. It's like a morphine drip at the hospital when you got had surgery and you just push the button when you want a little more and you just keep pushing the button. More comfort, God. God, God, more comfort. God, I'm not getting enough comfort. More comfort, God. That's not how it works. God, his primary goal for you is not your happiness. It is not your comfort. It says you are comforted in all your trouble so that you can comfort others. The primary reason God is delivering comfort to you is to deliver comfort through you. He is not interested in just making you comfortable. He's interested in using your pain to bring healing to others. And this is the problem. Many people stop in our pain. We have brokenness that comes to us in all kinds of different ways and we stop in the middle of that. And we go, God, if you were good, you'd take away this brokenness. If you were good, you'd take away this pain. If you were good, you would take away my hurt. And we stop there. And we've misunderstood what God's trying to do in our lives. God is trying to leverage your pain to bring healing to people around you. He's including you in his plan of redemption and healing. But he can't do that if we stop in our pain and we accuse God of being a bad God or a powerless God. So he comforts us so that we can comfort others. This says when they're troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. If we see people in pain, see people that are dealing with brokenness, and we say, God, use my life to bring comfort to them, God will do that. He's faithful because he loves us and he loves them. Verse five says, for the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. What he's saying is his comfort is proportional to our pain. It doesn't always feel like that. Again, let's go back to the hospital analogy. There's times when the, the drugs are not as effective at killing the pain as we would like them to be, but the doctors know I can't give you more. This is the threshold, right? And I think there's a level that God says, hey, if I keep comforting you, give you comfort, 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 you're never going to be motivated to move out of this place. It's, it's like a, my mom has a beanbag chair in her living room. And once you get in that beanbag chair, you're never getting out of it. Like you are stuck. Like <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonder of physics. Like you can't get out of it. It's just you settle in, right? And if we're not careful, if we just get all the comfort we want, we're gonna get stuck. But we get stuck in that place and we don't move on. We get stuck and we don't go. And God's saying, no, no, no. It's gonna be proportionate to your needs, to your pain, but I'm not gonna get you stuck. I want you to move out of your pain. 
I love that it says, for when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. But he says, hey, when I have trouble, it's for your benefit. What if we looked at our pain that way? What if we looked through at our sorrow and we realized that, hey, what I'm dealing with now is okay because it's gonna help somebody else down the road. It will transform how we walk through our pain and suffering if we understand God wants to use it. But the problem is, many times we don't go there because we get stuck in our pain. We get stuck in our brokenness. We will never find purpose in our pain if we stop short of helping others. There's a, a book called uh, Man's Search for Meaning. It's by Viktor Frankl. He was a Holocaust survivor. Um, after he survived the Holocaust and the uh, concentration camps, I mean, he saw family members and close friends killed. Um, so after he survived that, he went on to get his, um, became a psychologist and he wrote this seminal book on suffering called Man's Search for Meaning. And one of the things Viktor Frankl said is this. He said, everything can be taken from a man but one thing. The last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. And, and this is the power we have. We don't get to decide what happens to us in this world but we get to decide how we respond to what happens to us in this world. We get to make a decision and say, I'm not going to let this destroy me. I'm not gonna let this dominate me. This is not my identity. I'm gonna move forward. I'm gonna let this pain be leveraged for the good and health and benefit and healing and wholeness of others. We have to be resolved to do that. It can't be something that just kind of falls on our lap. It has to be something we decide, that we say, my brokenness will produce wholeness in someone else. If not, it won't happen accidentally. But broken people help other broken people. The third thing is this, broken people glorify God. At the end of this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter one that we've read through, verse 11, after he's talked about He's talked about their suffering, what they've been through. He talks about the comfort and why we're comforted. After he's talked about that, he says this, and you are helping us by praying for us. Then many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. He said, after we've come through all this pain and suffering and difficulty and heartache and this brokenness, so God's gonna be glorified. That's the payoff that God's gonna get the glory because people are gonna see, man, these people endured. These people went through some stuff and look at them on the other side of it. And he said, and God's gonna get the glory. People are gonna marvel at how good God is that he brought us through it. And this is the payoff for us. Paul has a really interesting history. Um, Paul started off as a guy who... Uh, Persecuted Christians. He was devout Jew, and he believed that Christianity was a cult, and um, and it needed to be snuffed out. And so he spent a lot of his life trying to squash Christianity. Um, in fact, we're introduced to Paul at the murder of a Christian, the martyrdom of a Christian who. Um, was serving the Lord and refused to denounce his faith in Jesus. And 
he's killed. And that's where we're introduced to Paul. Paul chased Christians down, arrested them, put them on trial, and probably had them killed. This is how he spent his life. We see this in Acts chapter eight and nine. If you're interested in reading it, you can check it out. Um, and, And Paul had this crazy conversion where he had experienced the spirit of Jesus and his eyes were opened, literally, and his life was changed. He realized what I've been doing and the way I've been living was wrong. And not only was wrong, it was reprehensible to God. I was actually doing the opposite of what I thought I was doing. And listen to what he says in 1 Timothy chapter one. This is getting toward the end of his life. He's a more mature believer now than he has been. But listen to what he says in 1 Timothy chapter one. He's writing to Timothy and he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with a faith that I love and love that come from Christ Jesus. That this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All glory, or all honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God, amen. This is what he says. He said, I was the worst of all sinners. I mean, think about the things that God has has saved you from things that you had done in your past that are forgiven under the blood of Christ. No matter what it is, I promise it doesn't match up to what Paul had done. And Paul says, I was the greatest of all sinners. And he doesn't say that in a boastful way. If you interviewed Paul and asked him about his past, he would talk about it with regret and probably shame, what he had done and what he'd perpetrated on the bride of Christ. And yet in this moment he says, but God redeemed me. I cried out, I needed a savior and God has taken my life and now he's using it for his glory. And I am telling you today, no matter how broken your life is, he can use you and use your story for his glory. If you let him, if you trust him. Remember what I said earlier, Jesus only uses what is broken. He does not use what is perfect. He does not use what has it all together. That is not who he's in the business of using. He uses broken people for his purposes. It's interesting because um, in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus multiplied the bread and the fish. And it was the same pattern. He took the bread He blessed it, he broke it, and then he gave it. And it was multiplied and literally fed fed thousands and thousands of people. Um, And I really do believe if we will take our brokenness, we'll take our hurt and our pain and our disappointments, our heartache, our failures, we'll bring this stuff to Jesus and go, Jesus, here is my brokenness. Here is my failure. Here it is. This is yours. 
I think you will take it. And the right thing for me to do is to say, he's gonna heal it, he's gonna make it whole, and he's gonna, maybe. But, but this is what I know. I, I know he, he will use that to multiply his glory. I don't know if you'll be healed the way you want to be healed, maybe. But I know there's no healing outside of Christ. I know there's no wholeness outside of Christ. I know you're gonna continue to be fractured and broken without Christ. But with Christ, we give him our brokenness and he can use it for his glory. And not just a little bit, he can multiply his glory through our brokenness if we'll just trust him. There's a passage I wanna share with you from 1 Peter chapter five. This is a verse I preached on a few years ago that I really like. Peter says this, he says, and after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever, amen. Jesus himself will restore you. It may be on earth. It may be in heaven. But he will put pieces together. It may not be the way you want, the way you think it should go. But there's healing found in Christ if you'll trust him. You know, I I mentioned earlier that Paul recognized he needed God. He needed a savior. Maybe you're here today and your brokenness has brought you to a place where you recognize you can't do it on your own anymore. Today's your day. Maybe you're the person that you've gotten stuck in your brokenness and you've never moved on. You've never allowed the comfort you've received to pass through you to others. You've never comforted those who have dealt with the same thing you have. I think today's your day. God wants you to take a step to begin seeing healing in your life by bringing healing to others. Maybe you've had brokenness in your life. Maybe you've come through that to some degree, but you've never allowed God to to use that for his glory. You've never shared your testimony, shared your story, told people about what God has done in you. Because of that, you recognize it today and you're like, okay, I've got a step to take. I I wanna challenge you to do that. I think there's a step for each of us to take, no matter where we're at in our relationship with Christ today. Hey, right now I'm gonna turn it over to our hosts in Blairsville. They're gonna give you an opportunity to respond and they're gonna close out the rest of our time together. But I want you guys to know, I love you more than you know and I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. So today I feel like I've kind of laid out for you what the next steps are. And I feel like the Holy Spirit is probably already prompting your heart, telling you, hey, here's what's next for you. Here's what you should be doing. So I don't feel like I have to spell it out for you at all. But it all comes back to our relationship with Jesus. It all comes back with us acknowledging we need a savior. And so maybe you're here this morning and you've never really acknowledged that you need a savior. You never said, God, I need you. I'm gonna challenge you, today is your day. Maybe you've been to church a thousand times. Maybe there's nobody here more religious than you are. But you've never acknowledged you need a savior. You've never acknowledged your need for God. I wanna challenge you to do so today. Those of you that are here that maybe you're a believer, but you've gotten stuck in your pain. 
you've gotten stuck at the point where you're not helping others, you're not pouring into others, you're not seeing healing and wholeness in others because you're busy trying to take care of your own life. I get it. But God's saying it's time for you to lift up your eyes and see the needs around you. It's time for you to start letting God be glorified through your story. And you go, well, Mel, my story's not done yet. I'm still a long way from healing. I get it. I get it. You don't have to have a completed story. You don't have to have it all finished. It doesn't have to be wrapped up with a tidy bow on it. That is not how this works because none of us are completed works. God wants to use you right now where you are. So why don't we pray together? Lord, thank you for loving us. God, I thank you that you love us. (laughs) Not just in spite of our brokenness, but in some ways because of our brokenness. And God, I acknowledge today that we're all broken, but just some of us are broken closer to the surface. So it's more visible than in others. Some of us do a better job of hiding it than others. Maybe some of us are in denial about our brokenness. I pray today, God, you would help us see where we're really at. I pray your Holy Spirit would search us and show us where we are. I pray that the disguises would drop, the the, the hiding places would fall, that we would just be honest with ourselves and with you. And I pray that you would help us no matter where we're at in our walk. I pray that you would help us today acknowledge we need a savior. Acknowledge that maybe we've gotten stuck in our pain and our brokenness. Maybe that, that we've never really allowed you to use our story for your glory. God, I pray that whatever it is we need to do, help us to do it. I pray for those that are here today that don't know you, that aren't in a relationship with you. I pray today you would give them the title of son or daughter you'd adopt them into your family, that they would see what it means to be loved and accepted in spite of our brokenness. So God, have your way with us over these next few moments. Now with nobody looking around, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you'd say to me, Mel, you know what? What you described as me, I'm not really living for God, but I recognize I need a savior. I recognize I need God. I can't do this on my own. I'm stretched beyond my limits and I need God's help. If that's you, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just wanna pray with you. If that's you, would you slip your hand up real high where I can see it and you say, Mel, I need God's help. I can't do this on my own. Yeah, thank you. Several hands on my left. Thank you in the center section. Thank you on my right. Who else would say, that's me, pray for me, Mel, include me. Yeah, I see you up in the balcony. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else? You say, Mel, I wanna... Acknowledge my need for Jesus today. Maybe you're recommitting your life to Jesus today. Yeah, thank you. Up in the balcony, I see you. Praise the Lord. You can put your hand down, man. Awesome. The book of Romans tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So I wanna pray a prayer with you, but I want every person in this place to pray it with me, whether you raised your hand or not. And I want you to pray it, not just with your mouth. I don't want you to repeat it mindlessly, but pray it from your heart, from your soul. Pray this prayer to God today. So pray this with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me and for sending your son, Jesus, 
to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From this day forward, my life belongs to you. Use me for your glory. Use my brokenness, use my pain, and leverage that for other people's good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give God a round of applause today? Thank you, Jesus. Listen, if you prayed that and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, Scripture says you're a new creation. Uh, the old is gone and the new has come. And you might not feel like the old is gone, but it is. God sees you as a brand new creation. We'd love to help you take the next step in your faith journey. Uh, so please do me a favor. Um, simplest thing for you to do would be to take the card out and see back in front of you. You can fill it out and stop by our info center. It's in the center part of our lobby. Give it to them. They're gonna give you a Bible and help you take the next step in your faith journey. If you'd prefer, and maybe you're watching online, you're here in the room and you'd prefer, you can simply text Summit PA to the number 94,000. And when you do that, we're gonna respond back to you and we're gonna help you take the next step that way as well. So thank you for taking a minute to do that. I wanna encourage you, if you responded today, and you responded for salvation or rededication, whatever it might be, I wanna encourage you, we've got baptisms in a couple of weeks and that would be a great time for you to go public with your faith. See, people can't see what's going on in your heart. God does, but people don't. And that's why Jesus was baptized. That's why Jesus instructs us to be baptized because it's an outward confession of what God's doing in our heart. So it's a great way to show the world, hey, this is what I believe. This is who has saved me. I need a savior and I don't mind telling people. Um, so get signed up for baptisms. We'd love to help you take the next step. Here's what's gonna happen now. Uh, Pastor Kendall's gonna lead us in a final song. We're gonna worship together. And during this final song, some of our prayer team and some of our staff are gonna be available here at the front of this room. And if you need prayer for any reason, our team's available. We'd love to pray with you. So please find one of them. Let them agree with you um, before you go, no matter what your need may be today. And I feel like there's probably some people with some needs in this place. There's probably some, some people that maybe the Holy Spirit's gotten a hold of your heart a little bit as we're talking about brokenness and sorrow and loss because I feel like God wants to redeem this for his glory. So please let us pray with you before you go. And then in just a moment, uh, Pastor Kendall will dismiss us and we'll be closed out. Um, so why don't you stand your feet all over the room. Let's worship together one more time before we go today. Um, and as we're singing this final song, I would encourage you, meditate on the word of the Lord. Ask God what your next step is. God, what would you have me do? How would you have me be obedient to this? And I promise he'll show you. Guys, I love you more than you know. And I'm so glad that I get to be your pastor. Hope you have an awesome week and I'll see you next weekend for Easter.